Sometimes life seems hard to bear, full of sorrow, trouble, and woe. It's then I have to remember that it's in the valleys I grow. If I always stayed on the mountaintop and never experienced pain, I would never appreciate God's love and would be living in vain. I have so much to learn, and my growth is very slow. Sometimes I need the mountaintops, but it's in the valleys I grow. I do not always understand why things happen as they do, but I am very sure of one thing. My Lord will see me through. My little valleys are nothing when I picture Christ on the cross. He went through the valley of death. His victory was Satan's loss. Forgive me, Lord, for complaining when I'm feeling so very low. Just give me a gentle reminder that it's in the valleys I grow. Continue to strengthen me, Lord, and use my life each day to share your love with others and help them find their way. Thank you for the valleys, Lord, for this one thing I know. The mountaintops are glorious, but it's in the valleys I grow. Are you in a valley today? What kind of valley are you in? There are so many kinds, it would be impossible to name them all. But I will name a few valleys that I'm aware that some people are in right now. One friend's mother died early yesterday morning. I'm sure her mother felt like she was in a valley when she had to move into a nursing home several years ago. Some people have recently been diagnosed with a disease that will eventually end their life. Some people are waiting for the results of a biopsy, and indications are it won't be good news. Some people are having to wait for much-needed surgery. Some people are in the divorce a deep valley of divorce. One lady I know has been in the hospital a month and is hoping to be able to get to rehab soon. I know people who are addicted to alcohol and some who are addicted to drugs. I'm told that addicts either recover or they go to jail or they die. Sadly, we hear about drug deaths almost daily. Maybe you have survived a hurricane or an earthquake, or a fire. I know a woman who was brought into this country as a toddler. She lives in a valley with others who might be forced to leave this country because they are undocumented aliens. Maybe you have a close relative in prison. Maybe you have lost your job and cannot see a way to make ends meet. Maybe the only income you have now is Social Security, and it's just not enough. And when there are problems with our children or our grandchildren, well, that is another valley time. When we are in a valley, we suffer. And although we have many blessings in our lives, sometimes in the valleys it is hard to think about, think about blessings because we are so consumed with the pain and suffering we are experiencing. I'm sorry I forgot to say welcome back to another edition of Hope for Today, and the first piece that I read for you today was called In the Valleys. I want to read you some things from one of my favorite authors, Randy Alcorn, and this, uh, these selections are coming from his book, 90 Days of God's Goodness. Just some different things that I had underlined um, in this book and just thought I'd share them with you today since we're talking about um, valleys and and, and things like that, the pain and suffering that some people are experiencing even today. Jesus suffered the same trials 
and temptations. We do. God understands our worst losses and heartbreaks because he himself suffered. And then he quotes, Alcorn quotes Dorothy Sayers with these, what she said in this couple of paragraphs. For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death, God had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. God calls us to hold firmly to our faith precisely because he knows suffering and temptation from firsthand experience. Now I want to read to you some of the first chapter in Alcorn's book, and the title of this chapter is, is called Conflict with a Purpose. In our lives, God uses conflict not just to make the story better, but to make us better. And I'm going to read you this, um, this from Genesis chapters 45, a selection, and also from chapter 50 about Joseph. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And then this selection from Job chapter 42. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. So uh, the Lord is working to make us better. And in life, not just in literature, we repeatedly see that protection from conflict produces soft, spoiled, and selfish people, while enduring conflict is more likely to produce someone strong, capable, and caring. So anyhow, back over here, um, he, I, he trusts God not only to bring the whole story together, but also to do with our part what he knows is going to be the best for our story. Given the option while facing his trials, I'm confident Joseph would have walked off the stage of God's story. After betrayal by his brothers when he was a teenager and being sold into slavery and later falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and sent to prison, 
Joseph had surely endured enough for one life. Talk to Job in the middle of his story with ten children dead and excruciating boils covering his body, God apparently abandoning him and his friends haranguing him. Ask if he wants out. I know what he'd say because he said it in Job 3.11. Why did I not perish at birth? But that's all over now. On the new earth, sit by Job and Joseph at a lavish banquet with their Lord. Ask them, be honest, was it really worth it? Absolutely, Job says. Joseph smiles, nodding emphatically. But Job, had God given you the choice? Wouldn't you have walked out of the story? In a heartbeat, I'm just glad he didn't let me. You and I are characters in God's story, handmade by him. Every character serves a purpose. God loves a great story, and all of us who know him will recall and celebrate and continue to live in that story for all eternity. Before we fault him for the plot twist we don't like, we should remember that Jesus has written this story in his own blood. And then I'm going to read you uh, two or three other selections um, from this, from Alcorn's book, 90 Days of God's Goodness. Jesus was morally perfect from his conception, but Scripture tells us he grew in knowledge and understanding through his life experiences. In that sense, he became more perfect, that is, more complete, through his suffering. Now, if the, if the Father used suffering to bring Jesus to maturity, surely he can use it to do that for us. Have you ever heard anyone say, I grew closest to God when my life was free from pain and suffering? No, it's the opposite. God uses adversity and suffering to help us grow and mature. God could create scientists, mathematicians, athletes, and musicians. He doesn't. He creates children who take on those roles over a long process. We learn to excel by handling failure. Only in cultivating discipline, endurance, and patience do we find satisfaction and reward. Suffering is a grace from God. It is a grace given us now to prepare us for living forever. If cancer or paralysis or a car accident prompts us to draw on God's strength to become more conformed to Christ, then regardless of the human, demonic, or natural forces involved, God will be glorified in it. My friend, my friend, my writer friend, Stephanie Grace Whitson, wrote this to me after her husband Bob's death. One thing I've become convinced of is that God has different definitions for words than I do. For example, he does work all things for my eternal good and his eternal glory. But his definition of good is different than mine. My good would never include cancer and young widowhood. My good would include healing and dying together in our sleep when we are in our 90s. But cancer was good because of what God did that he couldn't do any other way. Cancer was, in fact, necessary to make Bob and me look more like Jesus. So in love, God allowed what was best for us in light of eternity. And then this is another thing that Alcorn says in another chapter of his book. Dustin Schrammick wrote about his son's death and how it affected him. 
Quote, my mother died when I was 16, two years after I had become a believer. Having endured through her death, I had come out on the other end with my faith intact, and I again had hope that God was for me. After Owen died, while I certainly didn't feel joy, I knew that one day I would. The suffering I had endured through my mother's death had indeed produced hope. I had experienced God's faithfulness, and I knew that he would be faithful again. God remains faithful, of course, even when circumstances seem to say otherwise. Hope endures because God's promises remain true, no matter what. King David wrote in Psalm 35, Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. The night may seem long, but the truth is this, once morning comes, it will never end. Our suffering can be a source of hope for others. Though we are no substitute for God, we do serve as his ambassadors. And E. Stanley Jones has written this, Don't bear trouble, use it. Take whatever happens, justice and injustice, pleasure and pain, compliment and criticism. Take it up into the purpose of your life and make something out of it. Turn it into testimony. And then further on in this same chapter, it says, The gospel will never be spread without someone suffering. If we can look at others' tragedies and see some divine purpose in them, it can help us believe that there is purpose in our tragedies too. So we just need to ask God to give us the grace to trust him no matter what. And then further on, he says, uh, he's quoting Elizabeth Elliot here, and Elizabeth Elliot writes, It is an unsettling business, this being made conformable to his death, and it cannot be accomplished without knocking out the props. If we understand that God is at work even when he knocks out the small props, it will not be so difficult for us to take when he knocks out bigger ones. And that's the end of her quote. We want deliverance from suffering. We don't want our loved ones to die. We don't want economic crises, job losses, marriage problems, errant children, car accidents, or cancer. Our prayers and often our expectations boil down to this. Jesus should make our lives go smoothly. That's what we want in a Messiah. But it is not what God wants. Jesus is not our personal assistant charged with granting our wishes. While he sometimes doesn't give us what we want, he always gives us what we need. Only when we regard suffering servanthood as our calling, as Jesus did, we have the ability to face it as he did. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And that verse is from Hebrews 12:3. Through suffering, we become powerless so that we might reach the powerless. We like to serve from the power position. We'd rather be healthy, wealthy, and wise as we minister to the sick, poor, and ignorant. But people hear the gospel best when it comes from those who have known difficulty. If we preach God's word yet have little personal familiarity with suffering, the credibility gap makes it difficult to speak into others' lives. But our suffering levels the playing field. The God-man who died on the cross is best shared with others by those who also carry a cross. 
people will only see Jesus in us if we are like Jesus. And then I want to read you this, um, and this is his chapter 79, and I'm going to be reading some verses from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And this is from Alcorn's chapter 79. Excuse me, day 79. God does not only rule over heaven. He rules over all. There is no end to his dominion. Part of not forgetting God's benefits is recognizing his kindness and wisdom in what he sovereignly permits and what he does not. Suffering is limited. It could be far worse. Suffering is temporary. It could last far longer. Suffering, as we've seen, produces some desirable good. It can make us better people, and it can reveal God's character in ways that bring Him glory and bring us good. God can see all the ultimate results of suffering. We can see only some. When we see more in His presence, we will forever praise Him for it. He calls upon us to trust Him and begin that praise now. According to Psalm 103, the sovereign God looks upon us with an amazing and expansive love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. But how can an infinitely holy God remove our transgressions from us? Jesus Christ, God's Son, in a supreme act of love, became a man to deliver us from sin and suffering. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. On the cross, he took upon himself the hell we deserve in order to purchase for us the heaven we don't deserve. At his death, he said, it is finished, using the Greek word for canceling certificates of debt, meaning paid in full. Jesus then rose from the grave, defeating sin and conquering death. That's the truth. Christ offers freely the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Is God drawing you to himself right now? If you have not accepted this gift purchased by Christ at such a great price to him, 
what is stopping you? And that is Alcorn's question. And our hope for today is to believe in Jesus Christ because he offers this gift of forgiveness and eternal light free. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his ever begotten, his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, we could wish that the path to eternal reward does not involve suffering, but it does. Now I want to read you this piece that came across the Internet several years ago, and it's so, you are so blessed. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the million who won't survive the week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 20 million people around the world. If you attend a church meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than almost 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of this world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish somewhere, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If your parents are still married and alive, you are very rare, especially in the United States. If you hold up your head with a smile on your face and are truly thankful, you are blessed because the majority can, but most do not. If you can hold someone's hand, hug them, or even touch them on the shoulder, you are blessed because you can offer God's healing touch. You are so blessed in ways you may never even know. Blessings to you. And then I want to read you this um, poem. Uh, a man, I think he is a professor, or was a professor down, a preacher down in the Campbell area. And the name of his poem, and the man's name is Roy E. DeBrand. And this poem is based on Deuteronomy 33, 25. The name of the poem is Shoes of Iron and Brass. Sometimes when my way is weary and the path is rough and steep, when my steps begin to falter and my eyes begin to weep, through the tears I see a vision of a risen Christ who stands just beyond the hurt and heartache, and he says, Here, take my hand. You have to keep on walking, though your feet are bruised and sore, so take my hand, I'll help you, because I've been this way before. Shoes of iron and brass I'll give you to get across the rocky shore. Take my hand and keep on walking. I'll give you strength and you'll endure. And I was going to read you um, several things from Charles Spurgeon's book, but I think I'm going to read you this from July 19th, and then I'm going to have to wrap this up. So this is from July 19th reading, Morning by Morning, by Charles Spurgeon. He whose life is one even smooth path will see only a little of the glory of the Lord, for he has few occasions of self-emptying. Hence, he has only a little fitness for being filled with the revelation of God. Those who navigate little streams and shallow creeks know little of the God of tempest, but those who do business in great waters see his wonders in the deep. Thank God, then, if you have been led by a rough road. It is this that has given you your experience of God's greatness and loving kindness. Your troubles have enriched you with a wealth of knowledge to be gained by no other means. 
Your trials have been the cleft of the rock in which Jehovah has set you, as he did his servant Moses, so that you might behold his glory as it passes by. Praise God that you have not been left to the darkness and ignorance that continued prosperity might have involved. But in the great fight of affliction, you have been equipped for the outshinings of his glory in his wonderful dealings with you. Oh, and I was going to read you something from Horatio Spafford. I can't do that, so hold on a minute. All right, now, I want to suggest some things you might do to help others that you know are struggling Several years ago, there was a lady in our community who was dying with cancer, and she did not have insurance to help pay for the medications she needed. Several people went and paid money anonymously so she would not have to pay for her medicine. And also, I didn't write this down, but um, several years ago, there was a man that came in, and he just wanted to help some people uh, that might have uh, need to, to pay on their bills at the, um, at the pharmacy. And so he didn't even want to know who the people were, but he wrote a check and said, you know, apply this to some accounts that need it. And um, so anyhow, and then uh, I've heard about people that pay uh, on somebody's veterinary bill or um, sending money to a hairdresser to help a lady get her hair fixed who can't afford to go anymore. And if you eat out during the holidays, you could give your waiter an extra generous tip. If you have been blessed with the financial means so that you could bless others, then bless them. And if you don't know anyone personally, there are many worthwhile organizations, including the Salvation Army and the Rescue Mission, that you could send money to. Um, I want to read the words of the hymn that I'm going to close the program with today. And the name of the, po name of the hymn is Everybody's Going Through Something. And it was written by Don Pothras, Karen Peck, and Kenna West. And here it is. There's a woman living next to me, just trying to make ends meet. She's one check away from losing it all, and there's a broken man I know. He's barely holding on to hope, trying to get back up from his last fall. And me, I'm dealing with my own trials no one else can see. Without Jesus, tell me, where would I be? Everybody's going through something. Everybody faces a storm now and then. So if everybody's going through something, I'd rather go through something with him. Storms come and waters rise, and everybody cries. It's part of living while we're living down here. But I'm glad I'm not alone on this road I'm walking on. If I put my trust in him, there's nothing to fear. And when life seems so uncertain, I know one thing is true. There's a God who will see me through. Everybody's going through something. Everybody faces a storm now and then. So if everybody's going through something, I'd rather go, go through something with him. And I will leave you with these two verses today from the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24. In response to all he has done for us, let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind to each other and in doing good. And from Hebrews 13, 16, Don't forget to do good and to share what you have with those in need, for such sacrifices are very pleasing to him. Thank you for listening.